Brad Rosewell, welcome to Young, Dumb and Politically Disengaged. Thank you so much for being on the show with me. Great to be with you, Leslie. Thanks for the opportunity. You are a local, a Sandy local through and through. You were born at Sandringham Hospital, grew up in Bo Morris, went to St Bede's, um, and you're, you were very involved even as a kid with your local community, um, local footy, cricket, scouts, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then you, after graduating from uni, you worked in a variety of different sectors, private, public, um, non-profit as well, education, defence industry, a bit of a mix of things. Uh, and then also as a political advisor. And then in 2018, you were elected the Liberal member in the Victorian Parliament for the seat of Sandringham. You ran on a, a platform that, that focused on, um, again, pretty local things. So preserving um, the low density neighbourhood character, the livability of the area, um, congestion, those types of things, keeping the community safe um, and investments for schools and sporting clubs and, um, and for Sandy Hospital as well. Um, but then when you were elected 2018, you were promoted pretty quickly um, and now you've got all these shadow minister positions, shadow minister for energy and renewables, shadow minister for innovation, bay protection and fishing and boating. And you're also the secretary to shadow cabinet, which I had no idea what that meant until I looked it up. I think it means that you just basically are holding the entire government accountable for what's going on. So yeah, so what's the what's the plan next now that you've you've got a lot of responsibility? Hey, hey, you've done your research. You've and really done your research. You're, you're a twin as well. I found out. I am. I am a twin. Which is cool. I've got a. I've got a twin brother, and um, yeah, uh, yeah, that is that is pretty cool. Um, great growing up, you know, in the in the local area, uh, especially with a twin brother to, to I guess share the experience with, and you know, have someone to uh, accompany you to footy and to cricket and to scouts and and other things. Um, so I, I have dropped since I joined the shadow cabinet. I've dropped a couple of roles, so okay. I'm no longer shadow cabinet secretary. Um, my roles are Shadow Minister for um, Energy and Renewables, which is huge, mm. uh, huge portfolio responsibility. Um, huge questions in that portfolio as well, huge questions. Um, uh, uh, but huge opportunity as well, uh, in, in my mind. Uh, Shadow Minister for Innovation, Shadow Minister for Fishing and Boating and for Bay Protection. And as a, um, you know, as you pointed out, Leslie, as a local through and through, uh, growing up in Port Phillip, um, the opportunity to now have some sort of portfolio responsibility for uh, the protection of our best community asset, you know, by far, uh, Port Phillip Bay is just, um, first it's an awesome opportunity, but also quite a humbling opportunity um, as well. So yeah, heaps, heaps going on. But, um, you know, my first job is member for Sandringham and uh, uh, you know, I've been a community member for much longer than I've been a member of a political party. As you pointed out, I was born at Sandy Hospital, grown up in the area. Love it, absolutely love it. You know, it is part of me uh, and I hope to be part of it um, for a long time to come. And uh, I'm married to Kate, we've got a couple of kids, uh, 14 month old Charlie and um, three and a half year old Abigail. And you know, uh, Kate's a Strathmore girl. We could have we could lived anywhere. We, we chose to live here in beautiful Bayside. We chose to live um, in Sandringham because we we love it. You know, we love this community, and um, uh, you know we want to be part of it. So yeah, it's a great opportunity to um, uh, elect in 2018 to serve my community. Um, and 
Yeah, especially during some really challenging times. You know, last year, COVID, um, now uh, with the announcement of lockdowns again, um, you know, there is, um, people have looked to members of parliament in this time uh, to help them. And, you know, at its core, that's what the job of the member of parliament is, to do their best to help other people. You know, public service, you're not there to for yourself, you're there to, to give of yourself for the benefit of your community and for the benefit of others. And um, together with my small but awesome team, uh, I love them, um, we're doing our very best to do that day in, day out, Leslie. So, yeah, great intro, mate. Well done on the research. Yeah. Uh, great to join you. Yesterday, you tweeted, quote, it is my hope that we are not thrust into another lockdown. It should be the very last resort. I'm thinking of those businesses who are hanging on by a thread as the possibility of another lockdown is considered again. 14 months on, we must do better. And then, of course, today, as we as we speak, we're on the pre precipice of a seven-day circuit breaker lockdown beginning at midnight tonight. The acting premier, James Molino, announced 12 new cases, locally acquired cases today, um, which brings the outbreak to 26. And there's, you know, there's over 150 exposure sites now listed. And it's a really wide geographical spread as well. They're, you know, they're all over Melbourne and, and Victoria. Um, and there's more than, than 10,000 close contacts that have been identified as well. So it's sort of no wonder that the health experts have have given the advice to the government um, to put these measures in place for the next seven days to get on top of this. Elective surgery has been suspended. Schools are moving back to remote learning, um, except childcare and kindergartens will remain open. Restaurants, pubs, cafes, takeaway only, sporting venues, pools, entertainment, everything's shut um, and, and, and masks are back as well inside and outside. We're back to the familiar four reasons to leave home, but there is an additional fifth reason that's been added, which is to go and get a COVID-19 jab. And I thought the really good news today was that the state government announced that anyone um, between the ages of 40 and 49 can receive um, a COVID-19 vaccination, the Pfizer jab. So there's been an incredibly high demand today already um, on the COVID hotline to book in for those vaccines. Our Chief Health Officer, Professor Brett Sutton, said that it was absurd that of the suggestion that um, our contact tracing isn't up to scratch and that the health department has done an extraordinary job. So when you say we must do better, I, I guess, you know, specifically the Victorian government you're talking to there, in what ways would you suggest? Um, good one. So, um, look, I also said that um, lockdown should be a last resort. Um, and yes, I did say we must do better. And and the reason for that is, you know, when I, when I tweeted that, I had front of mind um, that the people in my area that I talk to on a very regular basis, practically daily, um, the, the business owners, you know, the, the, the customers who visit those business owners and who want to do everything that they can to support those business owners because if we don't support local businesses, they're not going to be there to support us and our community in the future. And and this sort of continual uncertainty for those guys, it's just it's just to a point now where, you know, they're finding it hard to, to plan, to invest, to, to, to make, you know, decisions week to week about staffing, about supplies because they don't know. Um, you know, I've been lucky enough to be in Parliament um, this week and have reason to go into the CBD. 
I was in the CBD just on the precipice of that that last, or, or just sort of near the tail end of that last lockdown in February. And I was in there for Parliament, and you know I went on my um, uh, you know one hour of uh, of exercise. I got into Parliament early when I went for my one hour of exercise uh, and walked all the way from Spring Street right down to the Docklands and back up via South Bank uh, just to get a walk in for the day and try and clear my head before the start of the day. And Leslie. <laughs> The amount of businesses that had four lease signs on them, the amount of businesses that were closed, the amount of businesses that were boarded up, it was it was depressing. You know, this, this yo-yo effect of uncertainty for business, of uncertainty for investment, of uncertainty for... for, for now, you know, people might say, oh, well, you know, business needs to uh, adapt to, the, to, to market conditions, they've got to adapt to circumstances. Yeah, 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 sure. But I bet you that the people who are passing those comments have never owned a business in their life because a bunch of those business owners, Leslie, have put everything on the line in order to try and fulfil their dream of running, owning and running their own business, not just owning and running their own business, but giving other people the opportunity to work, to earn a wage, to be self-sufficient. You know, a business is not just opening the doors and, you know, and hoping hoping that things might work out. It is so much more than that. Um, you know, I said in my, my first speech in, what was it, December uh, 2018 in the Parliament, uh, you know, for those of us who have the the, 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 the opportunity to, to know the dignity of work, to have a job and to know the dignity of work, that can be life-changing. You know, this is what businesses own, business owners right around this state do every day of the week. They give certainty. And they've had certainty in, you know, most other states of Australia, except in Victoria. Victoria has been a special case. Um, and, you know, when I, when I tweeted last night, um, with some frustration, really, you know, after 14 months, we must do better. Yeah, I, I, I genuinely hoped that we could be doing better by now. Genuinely hoped we could be doing better by now. That we wouldn't need to lock down our state again. You know, that... that that additional, this punch in the guts to to business owners, which then has this incredible flow-on effect. I mean, some measurements of the five-day lockdown last time is that it cost our economy $1 billion. So, you know, what's it going to cost us this time? And what we learned from the February example was it wasn't just the, you know, so, so the example I gave you before about walking around the CBD. So I did that on the last day, or the fifth day of the, of the February lockdown. I did the same thing the following day. And I would have thought, oh, here we go, you know, in the lockdown, people are going to be back, people are going to be back at it. But they weren't. But the same businesses were closed, the same businesses were boarded up, the same police signs were there. There were barely anyone in the central business district of Melbourne. Um, there were a few people, certainly more than the day before. Um, but, you know, once again, you can't just open your business and hope things will happen. Um, you've got to, you know, it costs you to open the doors. It costs you to have staff on hand. It costs you to turn on the lights. It costs you to turn on the ovens and the refrigeration. Um, and you've got to make sure that your, your income stream that day matches what your costs are. Otherwise, there's no point in opening. So this is my fear for this lockdown. Okay, you know, maybe from the, from the Victorian government's perspective, they had no choice. You know, they did everything that they could. And I hoped, I hoped that they did everything that they could before they put us in lockdown again. But, you know, maybe from their perspective, they have done everything they can do. Maybe their last resort was a snap seven-day lockdown, and that's the decision they've reached. And 
you know, I, I'd love to be able to tell you that, that that's true, but of course I don't get access to that sort of stuff to be able to, you know, determine that myself. But, you know, let's have faith in, in government and trust what they're doing and, and, and trust what they're saying. It's not just for the seven days that our community suffers and that economic effects hits us. This punch in the guts to businesses right around the state um, will translate on the eighth day and the ninth day and the tenth day and the eleventh day because people will lose confidence. We might reopen after seven days. We may not. I hope we do. Uh, but we might reopen after after seven days. But, you know, that doesn't mean that uh, on the eighth day, the, the first day after lockdown, uh, that uh, cafes and restaurants right, right around the place are going to be booked from morning, noon till night. No, and that won't happen because that was our experience last time. It, it's a punch in the guts not only to business owners but also to confidence, consumer confidence. Um, and you would have seen that in your run, in your line of work as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I, just, I guess my tweet last night was more out of a, a genuine desire for us to be doing, well, in, in the last 14 months for us to have the, the, the systems in place, the people in place, just like other states, to be able to deal with in an appropriate way and an efficient way um, cases of COVID as it arises. You know, to think this is going away anytime soon, it's not. It's not. And, there's, you know, businesses are resilient. Our economy is resilient. Victorian people are resilient. They are naturally resilient people. But if you keep on punching them in the guts time and time and time again when your systems fail you uh, and when you don't have the resources to, to, to uh, you know, do anything but lock us down, that will have a long-term effect. That means that we're further away from fully recovering. That means that our local economies, our street shops, are further away uh, from, from fully recovering. That means our community is further away from fully recovering, not from the health impacts uh, of the pandemic, but from the community and economic impacts of COVID. So, you know, that's why I tweeted that last night, Leslie, because it was just out of pure frustration, really. Uh, but, you know, we're in the situation we're in at the moment. And, um, you know, I'd encourage everyone to comply with, with, with what has been um, asked of them for the period uh, which it's been asked. Um, and I just hope and pray that we're in and out of this thing as quickly as we possibly can uh, be because there's a lot of disappointed people out there. No one likes being in lockdown and Victorians know that all too well and I agree with you there are multiple significant economic and, and mental health related consequences as well. I don't think anyone's disputing any of that. This latest outbreak began when aerosol transmission occurred in Adelaide Hotel Quarantine and it was brought unknowingly here from South Australia to Victoria. Many are calling for a national quarantine system to be established arguing that constitutionally, at least, the Commonwealth is responsible for that in addition to the vaccine rollout, which you'd have to admit has been slow at best, um, disastrous at worst. Can we really blame the Victorian state government? Who's who's to blame for this? I'm not interested in the blame game, Leslie. I'm really not because it doesn't actually resolve anything. You know, the facts are that at the start of this thing, the states want to run their own shows, right? They wanted to do that right around the country. Um, the National Cabinet came together and there was a glimmer of hope that political leaders from all persuasions were working together. And by and large, that's worked really, really well. You know, and that's great because, you know, whether you're Liberal, whether you're Labor, whether you're Greens, whether whoever you are, I'd like to think that your, uh, your heart is in the community's best interests, right? And, and getting through this thing 
as quickly, as efficiently, as safely as we possibly can. Um, but, you know, the blame game. So, oh, we didn't have enough uh, vaccines. Or we did have enough vaccines. Oh, uh, you know, you're responsible for quarantine. No, you're responsible for quarantine. Like, honestly, um, I, my bottom line is this. If governments, um, and whatever persuasion they are, whether it's Victorian government or any other government, if they haven't got the capacity to deal with a circumstance and you're reaching crisis point, for goodness sake, just ask for help. Honestly, just ask for help. There is no shame for asking for help, not in this, certainly not in this climate, you know. Um, ask the Feds for help. Um, ask the Defence Force for help. Pick up the phone to the New South Wales Premier. Ask her for help. You know, how, how, how has Gladys Gurdjieklian done things different in New South Wales to how we've managed things in Victoria? Are there lessons that, in all humility, you know, are there lessons that can be learned? Are there systems that can be adapted? Are there, uh, you know, a whole series of things that can be applied here in Victoria that, that have worked well in other places? Now, you know, it seems almost dumb, really, to be having this conversation now, 14 months in. Um, yes, there have been periods where, you know, there's peak demand uh, for... Um, uh, for uh, um, uh, for, for, for systems to be, you know, on high alert and, and, and contact traces to be, you know, working over time and the rest. But there has been a, there have been periods also where there have been a whole bunch of people um, on, on lower levels of alert and on lower levels of activity. Well, that's your, that's your opportunity, opportune time to learn from other jurisdictions. Um, I'm not interested in the, in the blame game. I think anyone in politics who who's blaming at this point in time, I, I think, you know, bottom line is if you, if you need help, ask for it. There's no shame in that, especially when it could potentially lead to a better community outcome and, and with our community back on speak quicker. So if your side was in government now, what would, and you were facing this issue, what would, what steps would you be taking um, that are different to, I guess, what's happening at the moment? A really difficult question to answer. Every time my side of politics has asked the government to release health advice or to at least have the health advice on which they base decisions, um, you know, assessed by an independent person with, you know, medical training, medical background, public health training, um, they've denied us that opportunity. So, you know, one, once again, um, I'm happy well, to, to give the government the benefit of the doubt. I'm happy to, 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 to you know, allow them to do what they're doing um, you know, with the understanding that they've got the best community interests in mind. But equally, I'd be fascinated to see the health advice on which the decision is based. Um, if it wasn't yesterday, it was the day before in question time in Parliament, because I just come back from two days of um, parliamentary sittings. Um, Michael O'Brien, the, um, the Liberal leader, asked uh, acting Premier Molino a question in question time. And it was, it was simply this. This is when, uh, you know, a couple of days ago when there was a, the possibility of a, of a lockdown uh, and it was being, you know, considered and there was rumours and people think, oh, you know, we, we, we will be moving towards a lockdown. It was confirmed. And the question Michael asked in question time of the acting, of the, um, yeah, the acting premier was, um, what are the conditions, what are the parameters, what, what's the trigger for us to move to lockdown? So you say that you're, you're relying upon the health advice, you say that you're acting, um, you know, based on the health advice, well, okay, you know, we're hearing all this stuff about lockdown. What is the trigger point at which the state will be locked down? And Deputy, the acting premier's 
answer said, well, you know, we've always listened to the health advice, we'll continue to listen to the health advice, the health advice says we need to be locked down, then we'll lock down. But never actually answered the question. So to ask me, uh, to, to ask my side of politics, you know, how would you deal with things in a different way? I mean, there are a number of things that we've said we do, we do differently, but, you know, when it comes to locking down the state or not locking down the state, I, I think it would be irresponsible of me to say things with any, you know, uh, definitive um, definitiveness because I simply don't have or am not allowed uh, the, the, the facts on which the decisions are currently being made in front of me. Um, and until that point, um, you know, it's very, very difficult to make those decisions that uh, the government is, being made, is making. So I think it was last week, the Victorian Treasurer, Tim Pallas, delivered the state budget for the next financial year. And there were some clear sort of winners and losers amongst the different measures. Um, some of the winners, I thought, mental health services, um, $3.8 billion of a, on an overhaul of the state's mental health system, um, which is responding in part, I guess, to the Royal Commission earlier this year with a lot of the failures going on there. Um, the second win, education, uh, $1.6 billion put into building new schools and updating classrooms, acquiring land for the classrooms, and that's construction work and that's jobs. I think it's um, 3,500 jobs. And then there's a big portion of that money also going into to higher education and being invested into TAFE. The third one, transport, there's, there's loads going on with um, transport and infrastructure, um, $986 million spent on building 25 new trains for um, different train lines in the state over the next five years. Um, it'll increase the capacity of the passengers on the trains. They'll be built in Ballarat, so it's more jobs again. Um, and then just other upgrades to roads and improving the freight network, uh, safety measures, uh, walking, cycling, um, lots of money put into that. And then health a lot of measures to do with COVID-related programs for health, $1.3 billion on that, um, $50 million to establish an mRNA production site, which would be, could be the first in the Southern Hemisphere to man manufacture Pfizer and Moderna-style COVID jabs. So that's sort of similar to, I guess, the last issue could be potential solution for some, some part of it. Um, $15 million also put aside for designing a 500-bed quarantine hub in Melbourne. Uh, and the government, it says, is in talks with the Commonwealth as well about the funding for that too, which is good. That sort of ties into what you were saying with being collaborative and asking for help, and, and I agree. I think that's important. Um, lots of spending as well on hospitals, paramedics, triage care, support for Ambulance Victoria um, and fertility services, safe injecting rooms, so a lot going into health. Um, as well. Probably on the downside, some of the, the losers of the budget would be um, bigger businesses. Um, they've basically got to pay for all this stuff, really. So um, to pay for the mental health spending, businesses with more than $10 million in national wages are really going to foot the bill through a payroll tax surcharge for their employees. Um, so they'll be hit with a half a percent increase, but only for every dollar above um, $10 million. The second group is property investors. Premium stamp duty is going to be introduced. 
anything over $2 million, any property over $2 million attracting a $110,000 duty plus 6.5% of the dutiable value in excess of $2 million. And then there's also land tax uh, increases as well for properties worth more than $1.8 million. The net debt is expected to reach $102.1 billion by June next year, which would be around 27% of the entire economy. Um, so there's big spending, mental health schools, transport, but business and investors are going to be hit with the taxes to, to really help pay for it. Um, in the wake of all of this, you, you tweeted again, Victoria needs a plan to secure our COVID recovery. We need a plan to stimulate our economy. We need a plan to allow individuals, families and business to thrive and create jobs and economic opportunity. Victorian Labor's only plan is for more taxes and debt. So are there aspects of the budget that you support in any way? And also what measures would you do differently and how? Yeah, good question and good research again. Um, so I know you follow me on Twitter. I do. <laughs> Labor in this state have been in government for 17 of 21 years, thereabouts, 18 of 21 years. And it sounds like, you know, from the summary you've just given, like the, the, the best idea um, through an economic lens is tax and spend, tax and spend, tax and spend, tax and spend. And, and you know, my tweet was basically saying now's not the right time to tax, to, to, to increase taxes, to expand taxes. Um, since Labor have been in office this time round, um, they've increased something like, I think it's like 25 and 28 taxes. And they'll charge, they'll call them different things. They'll call them levies or surcharges or whatever. But, you know, uh, they've, they've introduced or increased, um, introduced new or increased existing um, taxes effectively in some, some 28 or so of them. I, I, I don't have an economic background. Um, but I don't think you need to have an economic background to understand this point. You, you can't tax your way to prosperity. You, you, you can't, you know, taxing an economy doesn't stimulate an economy. And as we're coming out of COVID and our community is seeking to rebuild itself, our local economies are seeking to rebuild themselves, increasing taxes is precisely the wrong time to be doing it. You know, you've got the, you've got the federal government who are saying, you know, in terms of income tax, you know, we've got a plan to reduce income tax. Um, so they're wanting to they wanted to tax us less. And then you've got the state government coming in and saying, and we're wanting to tax you more. So the federal government are arguably putting their foot on the accelerator and the state government's putting their foot on the brake. And if you don't think that, um, you know, increasing things like payroll tax, land tax, stamp duty, uh, and then that, that, um, that new property tax as well is going to have a flow-on effect to the broader economy, it, it absolutely will. You know, we... Um, uh, introduced a plan uh, or announced a plan very recently to make Victoria the best place in the country to do business by having the lowest payroll tax rate in the country. And, you know, weeks later, we did that in the lead-up to the budget, uh, and weeks later the, the, the Treasurer comes out and says, and we're going to increase payroll tax. Like, again, have a look at my, my first speech. I, I advocated my first speech for there to be zero payroll tax because, in my view... Payroll tax is a tax on jobs. It, it, it means, you know, the more a business pays in payroll tax, the fewer people they can employ. It's as simple as that. But the less they can invest back in their business to create more opportunity and to create more jobs. And so, you know, I, am, I would strongly advocate for 
lower taxes, lower payroll tax to, to stimulate our economy so that, you know, people um, uh, who do employ people can employ more people and give more people opportunities. And these, you know, sometimes in politics we talk about statistics and we talk about numbers and we talk about, you know, uh, underemployment rates and, and, and uh, you know, um, um, uh, other, other such, you know, economic measures. And sometimes we forget, and I try not to forget, but sometimes we forget that every statistic, every number has a person behind it. So every, you know, by, by, by increasing a payroll tax by X percent, that might mean that, you know, two or three people can't be employed in a business. But that's not just two, two or three people, Leslie. That's two or three families that are affected by that. That's two or three families that don't have, uh, well, don't have the opportunity for a secondary income stream or a, or a primary income stream to be able to pay their amenities, pay their school fees, pay their weekly shopping. Um, you know, that means that more likely than not, those people will be dependent upon other taxpayers through, um, you know, government payments and, 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 and government assistance, which then puts another strain on the economy. So, you know, your question about what would I do differently, what, what would we um, as, a, as a Liberal Party do differently? Well, we, we want everyone to thrive. We want everyone to stand on their own two feet and contribute as much as they possibly can to the community. But that is our, that is our broad principles-based vision. Um, you know, we want government to be smaller than it currently is. We want government to have less influence over people's lives. We want government to tax people less because, you know, you... you and your listeners and a whole bunch of other people know you guys can spend your money so much better than governments. I mean, in this state at the moment, we've got a whole bunch of major projects and you just need to turn on the radio or turn on the telly and you'll hear about it because, you know, yes, we're in a global pandemic and yes, we're in a health crisis, but the government still finds the, the money to advertise the, the, the build, big build program um, when arguably they should be pausing that, that, that advertising and using that. Uh, you know, to uh, to pump out the the, the the health information, the health advice, in my view. Um, but you look at some of those major projects and you look at the cost overruns. Now, you mentioned in your intro, I've had, you know, public sector, private sector, not-for-profit sector experience before being in, in Parliament. And in the private sector, I was working in the defence industry. And, you know, we're not talking $1,000 projects. We're talking multi-billion dollar projects. And even in the defence industry, there might be a 10% contingency built in potential cost overruns, time blowouts on major projects, whatever it might be. But yet in government projects, there's almost a contingency of a 20%, 30%, 40%, 50% blowout. And it's almost just accepted as if it's, you know, it's a it's a government project, so oh, we can't expect that. But that's just not right. You know, all the billions, literally billions of dollars that are spent on cost overruns on major projects now means less opportunity for what we could be doing with that money if we hadn't blown it out on cost overruns. It could mean more ambulances. It could mean better schools. It could mean more police. It could mean better public transport connections. It could mean better roads. It could mean better, you know, community connections. Um, you know, all those important things that state governments, that are, are the core business of state government. But the opportunity is lost when, you know, projects are not scoped appropriately, um, where cost overruns run into the literally billions of dollars, um, you know, 20%, 30%, 40% over what was first um, first estimated as the, the total project cost. Now, if you're getting the impression that this thing kind of annoys me, it absolutely does. So, you know, 
the government has, has said and has announced in this budget a whole bunch of spending, as you mentioned, in education, right? Good on them. They're doing their job. They're doing their job. And they should continue to do their job. There is a need for new schools. Um, and that means that state governments need to spend money to build those new schools, especially as our population increases and especially as our population disperses from, you know, the inner rings of Melbourne to, to growth areas outside of those inner rings. They're doing their job. But I'll tell you what, in my area, we didn't get a brass razoo in terms of education spending in this budget. Um, Sandy Hospital didn't get a cent. Um, major projects, um, uh, roads, um, road upgrades, intersection upgrades didn't get a cent. You know, I, I've, I've asked the government time and time again to um, fix Hampton Pier. Um, the, the, the pier at Black Rock at Half Moon Bay two weekends ago collapsed. It collapsed. Now, um, I would have loved money in the budget to fix that. You know, the, I don't know if you remember the Frankston Pier uh, collapsed uh, about 18 months ago or so was, you know, fixed in record time. Maybe, just maybe, it's because there's a government minister representing that area. I, I don't know. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But, you know, I would equally love the, uh, the, the pier at Half Moon Bay to be fixed in record time as well. And for the... At the but there wasn't money in the budget for that. Um, so, you know, I, I think when it comes to budgets and sort of headline figures, um, it's one thing to look at the headline figures and then... You look at a community like mine, I, I as part of my work uh, as a local member, work with a whole bunch of schools, a whole bunch of community groups and, and different, you know, individual members of our community. And every uh, year that I've been elected, I've, I've sent to the Treasurer a Centre M District budget submission, basically outlining a batting list of all the infrastructure thing works that are needed within for my community. Um, and, you know, this year we did that. And, and this year, again, we got donuts. So... Um, you know, it's my job as a local member to do everything I can to advocate for my local community and to ensure that we get our fair share of state government infrastructure dollars. That's my job. You know, the, the people who live in this area across Mentone, Hyatt, Cheltenham, Sandringham, Beaumaris, Black Rock um, uh, and Hampton, um, they're good people, personally. They're hardworking people. They pay their taxes. They contribute uh, to, the, to the broader Victorian economy. And they're just asking for their fair share of investment back in to our own community. Um, you know, Medtown Girls Secondary College hasn't had a cent of major, you know, infrastructure dollars from a state government invested in it for three decades. Sandringham College is in a similar position. Um, together with the community, we advocated for, you know, the, the start of their funding to be received. They allocated $10 million in the last budget for that, the start of that process, but it Cost more than $10 million bucks to build a new school. I've already asked for the second $10 million. $10 million. Um, that hasn't been guaranteed as yet. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of work to be done beyond the um, beyond the headline figures. Yeah. Is it just a case of, like, I guess, trying to take from the rich, give to the poor? It kind of seems like that's what the budget aims to do. Even just this morning, the Victorian Treasurer said um, the Victorian economy is the best performing performing economy in the country and that the um, tax reforms were modest and targeted on, on yeah, really that, that system of um, people who've done really well out of the pandemic contributing, I guess, more to the share of the economy recovery. But, but my point is that, okay, do, do, do the Robin Hood Act, you know? Do the Robin Hood Act. Take from the rich, give to the poor. Um, you know, now we talk, that is, that is the start of communism. 
That's what the communists and the socialists do. That's what they do. They 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 think that they know best. That they you know that they then go and 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 take the assets, assume it to themselves, and then redistribute it as they see fit. That's what they do. My philosophical approach is totally different. You know, I want you to pay less tax. You know, I want you to have more opportunity. I want I want you to be able to keep as much of the money that you earn as you possibly can, so that you can spend it yourself and that you can stimulate the economy and 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 help other businesses. And because you know, you are the best judge of how to spend that. Labor's view is, the government's view is that they know best. And so our philosophical approaches to these things, you know, um, government versus opposition, government versus uh, Labor versus Liberal, are completely different. Um, we want to tax you less, they want to tax you more. And to think that, you know, it's robbing from the rich and giving to the poor, well, you know, are they rich? Really? I mean, so this, this um, uh, statute um, uh, on properties over $2 million, well, I mean, you live in the local area, you work in real estate in the local area. Um, probably in the area that you service, the median price of a house at the moment is probably already $2 million. And if it isn't now, it will be in the not-too-distant future. You know, so there are some, I think there are some 30 uh, postcodes in the Melbourne metropolitan area where that $2 million median house price has already been reached. And over the, de- the next decade, there'll be a whole bunch more. Well, that's it, I think. Do you have anything else? Oh, my goodness. That's a long... Are we at the end of the podcast? I think we are, yeah. Well, you might be young, but you're not dumb and you're certainly not politically disengaged. I just think it's awesome that, uh, you know, you as a young, people, a young person are seeking to uh, engage in politics, engage in community in this way. That's just That's just awesome. And... You know, whatever your political perspective is, um, more young people should be doing what you're doing, honestly, because uh, it's not someone else's community, it's your community, you know, and uh, you have a, a right, but also, in my view, an obligation to uh, to be engaged in what's going on. So congratulations for doing that and good on you. Thanks, Brad. I really appreciate that. And, and thank you so much for coming on the show and chatting with me. It's been really valuable hearing your insights. Thank you, Leslie.